We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I want to share a story about how I was recently asked about some evidence of failed leadership in a local church. And my response is pretty simple. Real leaders know when to leave. You have to understand the paradox of leading by leaving. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening into the show. Today's topic is leadership. I'm going to focus on this in the context of a local discussion with regard to some failed leadership in some of our local churches and how I was recently asked about this within the context of my over 30 years of executive level leadership in colleges and universities, Christian colleges and universities that are associated with, if not owned by the church. So I had somebody ask me, what do you think? What does your experience tell you as you watch some of the failures in leadership within churches. And my response is going to surprise some of you because I'm going to focus on a paradox that I think is so very true in leadership. And it's the paradox of leading through leaving and how real leaders, the best leaders, the greatest leaders in human history have led by leaving. They don't hang on. They don't grasp the ring of power. They're more interested in the success of the team, the organization, the church, the college, the corporation, the country, than they are in their personal careers. And they're looking for opportunities to get out of the way and hand the baton to the next person, who's better than they are. That's the best leader. That's the leader who's great. So with that as context for today's show, let's take an early break. And when I get back, I'm going to give you a little bit of a refresher course in the 10 principles of leadership that I write about in my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good. The 10 lessons of leadership that I learned in over three decades of, like I said, executive level leadership within the Christian Academy. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. 
Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one-year maintenance and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So again, the topic is leadership. And I want to talk about this this uh, principle of leading by leaving, but I'm going to use that as a summary. I want to set the context for leadership by going back and reminding you, giving you a little bit of a refresher course very quickly, an abbreviated version of the 10 lessons of leadership that I learned as the result of being a college president for nearly 20 years, and then you add to that 10 to 15 years of other executive-level leadership at various different Christian colleges and universities. And I'm not pretending that I'm a perfect leader. In fact, anybody who says they are and that they have no flaws and that they are the exemplar, the perfect model of leadership, anybody who refuses to admit that they're broken and that they've been a buffoon at times and really botched it is not a good leader. So that's not the point here. I'm just sharing you what I've learned through my successes and failures, what God has taught me as the result of being placed, sometimes unwillingly so, at the top of the organizational chart and having to solve problems and lead people, sometimes leading them in directions they don't want to go. All right, so I had a a stint at Oklahoma Wesleyan University just shy of 20 years. I was blessed to be the university president there. If you listen to me routinely, you know that. And during my time at the helm, we went from financial exigency and essential bankruptcy to a model of fiscal health. Enrollment more than doubled, as did revenue. Debt was paid down to zero, and net assets increased from about 10 to 40 million for the university. But all that said, perhaps the most important thing about my time at Oklahoma Wesleyan University, as far as I'm concerned, was the university's reputation for leadership grew. Oklahoma Wesleyan University grew from a position of relative obscurity, nobody knew who we were, nobody cared, to one of national leadership with a national voice. And we were repeatedly cited as a champion of academic freedom and religious liberty and called upon to speak about those issues on the national platform with Fox and Friends, Fox News, Glenn Beck, Tucker Carlson, the list goes on and on. Again, that's not a boast, that's just a fact. And you might want to ask yourself a question. Why did this small, relatively insignificant little Christian college become the go-to for uh, talking heads such as Adam Carolla, Dave Rubin, Tucker Carlson, Bill O'Reilly, Megan Kelly, etc. Why? Well, I'm going to share with you the 10 things that I believe contributed to that move from nobody cares about who you are to somebody's going to listen and take note of the things you're saying and the direction you're going. And you're going to be able to guide and craft culture accordingly because of that leadership that's been granted to you. So with that said, let's get into these lessons of leadership. Well, the first one I learned as president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University, and quite frankly, even in my vice presidential roles before that at other institutions, 
is a lesson that's rather counterintuitive. You might be surprised by it. And that is be thankful if you've inherited failure. In fact, if you're blessed to be given charge of a sinking ship, remember this. You will always have more latitude to lead boldly than if you had been given charge of an organization that was healthy. So take advantage of the opportunity presented to you by failure. Don't squander that opportunity. So rather than trying to cure cancer by applying band-aids, recognize that this organization has a disease and the only way you're going to cure the disease is to cut the cancer out. Get rid of the carcinogens. Break the cycle of failure. Break the organization in a sense. That's the only way you're going to save it. Don't let a crisis go to waste. Use the crisis as a launch pad to elevate the company, the church, the college, the culture to a new level. Be thankful you inherited failure and never let a crisis go to waste. Lead boldly. And if you have to break the organization, that may be the only way you're going to keep the organization alive. The second lesson is that if you inherit success, don't break it. If your organization was healthy when you took over, don't screw it up. Celebrate the things that have worked and keep doing them. And then in humility, recognize that the person running the leg of the race ahead of you was likely there because he was faster than you and he handed the baton with you in a position to win. So be thankful he gave you the lead in the race. Your ego is going to tempt you to throw the baby out with the bathwater. In other words, start disparaging those that preceded you and ignore their successes because your ego is going to tempt you to do so. But true leaders identify the successes that preceded them and then they build upon those successes rather than ignoring them and pretending that the guy who was ahead of you doesn't matter and didn't do anything right. Okay, a third lesson of leadership. If you want to make everybody happy, don't be a leader. Okay, if popularity becomes the most important thing to you, if that becomes more important than doing what's right, you need to resign. Okay, popularity is not the reason to get involved in leadership. Go sell ice cream if you want to be popular. But if you want to lead, you're going to have to recognize you have to do the unpopular thing at times. Fourth lesson of leadership. Never, ever bend a knee to the rage mob. I've talked about that before. You, you need to recognize that it is better to lose your head than lose your soul. Conviction is respected. Weakness is not. Never bow the knee. Always stand tall. Always stand for what's right. Okay? Stand firm. The Apostle Paul said that. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that you labor for the Lord and not in vain. Never bow the knee. Be willing to lose your head. Don't lose your soul. The next lesson is always demand the truth of yourself and of others. Defend the truth. Model the truth. Never compromise the truth. Never supplant it. Truth must always be first and foremost in your mind. Without the truth, there is no trust. If you are speaking in half-truths and innuendo and implications and suggestions in your leadership model, you're a terrible leader. You need to resign now because half-truths are our way of perpetuating something that's a full lie. Always demand the truth, defend the truth, model it, and never compromise it. Truth must always be first. Always be first with you.
Demand it of yourself and demand it of others. Without truth, you'll never have a team. And the minute you put something else ahead of the truth is the minute you have become a follower and not a leader. Because you're following deception. You're following something that's motivating you or others that is a lie, that's dishonest, and that's false. And if anything is more important to you than the truth, you've already failed. You are not a leader because no one respects you. You may have the right words, but you're not the right man if you're compromising the truth and the way you lead and communicate. Okay, here's another lesson. If you're not willing to lose the battle, you will never win the war. Another way to say it, if you're not willing to lose, you're never going to win. Your personal success is not a top priority. It is not. The cause is more important than you or your resume or your career. You should be willing to wave the banner of the mission of the organization. You should never be waving the banner of your career and what you bring to the table. It isn't about you. It's about the mission. It's about the message. It's about the organization. It's about the cause. And if it becomes about you preserving your power and career, you're not leading. You're not leading. In fact, you're an embarrassment to the organization that you pretend to hold dear. Here's another lesson. Confront. Be willing to confront. Your job isn't to be liked. I've already talked about that. And when you refuse to confront because you're more interested in being kind and compassionate and likable, then what you're guilty of is enablement. Okay? So you're basically behaving like a helicopter parent who enables their children because they want to be liked by their kids. They want to be their kid's best friend rather than be a parent. Parents aren't necessarily liked all the time. In fact, that shouldn't be your goal. If that's your goal as a parent, then you're a lousy parent. If you want to raise up virtuous people, then you have to confront their vices. If there's too much support and too little challenge, there's always stagnation. Being liked is far less valuable than being respected. Leaders choose to confront rather than enable. And this leads me to my criticism of passive aggressiveness. The reason people are passive aggressive is they won't push the confrontation to its full extent. Rather than confront boldly and clearly, they just make life difficult on other people through their passive aggressive behavior. And they enable dysfunction and they lose respect. That's not good leadership. In fact, I would argue it's not leadership at all. It's the preservation of yourself versus the perpetuation and the promotion of the organization and its mission. Here's another lesson that I learned in my time at the helm of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. It's the lesson of doubling down. If your critics are failures, ignore them, okay? Double down on what you believe is right if your critics are failures in their own lives. You don't have to listen to people who have failed over and over again if they're just harping at you and criticizing you. But on the other side of the coin, if your critics are more successful than you, and if they've been around the barn a few times and have a few things to offer you in terms of earned wisdom over the decades or years of their success, then you better start listening to them. You ought to humble yourself. You ought to pay attention and be grateful for their coaching. So this is two sides of the coin of criticism. Double down if you're right, but recognize, yeah, you can double down if those harping at you, criticizing you, and talking about you have never really accomplished anything and they're failures in their own lives. Uh, okay, 
be a duck and let the water bounce off your back. But if those giving you coaching have a few years more success than you, even if they're not perfect, you might want to recognize that they bring some wisdom to the table. And you you might want to humble yourself and pay attention. All right, here's another lesson. Stay on point. I've talked about this a thousand times over on the show. I guess that is the point. Repetition, repetition, repetition. I think Winston Churchill is a perfect example of that single-minded focus. His, his famous speech, never give in, never, 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 never give in. Essentially, that's all he said. He just needed to repeat, never give in, never give in, never give in, never, 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 never give in. Be a one-string banjo. Wave your banner and then wave it again and again. Shout your battle cry and then shout it over and over again. Sooner or later when you do that, you're going to find that not only do those following you believe you, but you're going to start believing yourself more than you did before you started that repetitious commitment to that battle cry. And here's another lesson. In fact, this is the 10th one before I get into the final, final point of the show today. My 10th lesson of leadership is that if you want to find a snake, listen for the rattle. In my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good, I actually describe it this way. Okay, I'm going to read it directly for you because this is a very important one, and it's very difficult to actually practice. If you want to find a snake, listen for the rattle. Just be quiet. Don't speak. Be quiet in the face of criticism. If you're talking, then you've betrayed the fact that you don't have confidence and that you're not leading. You're actually following the criticism. You're following the narrative rather than leading it. Back to my book. Here's here's the paragraph where I describe the scenario. I say, some say that there are only two things that are sure in life, and that's death and taxes. And I suppose it's hard to argue with that truth. However, I'm going to add a third surety in life, and that's gossip. Leaders are maligned. Leaders are targets of every form of innuendo and exaggerated stories and even blatant lies. If you are leading, sure as the sunrise, people are going to gossip about you. But the best advice I ever received when it comes to this issue as to how to respond to gossip and unfair criticism, you know, when people just won't shut up and they're talking about you and they're telling others things that just aren't true, the best advice I ever received was from an an old man, a sage at Oklahoma Wesleyan University by the name of C.B. Colaw. He was in his 80s at the time. He had been on the board of trustees for 150 years. He was chairman of the board for 100 of those years. He was the icon at the institution. He wasn't perfect. Nobody pretended he was. But one day when he knew that I was getting beat up in the court of public opinion within the church, I was getting beat up because I had to make some very tough decisions. The institution was ready to go bankrupt. I was cutting the budget. I had to eliminate some positions. People were fearful of losing their jobs. They didn't like what I was doing. Um, I I had to move forward. We just couldn't continue to do the same stupid things we had been doing or we were going to close our doors. Well, I was the subject of a lot of criticism, and much of it just wasn't true. One day while I was in my office at the, in the early years of my presidency, wondering what in the world I had gotten myself into, I'm sure I probably looked like a deer in the headlights. I looked up from my desk and Dr. Kola, C.B. Kola, was standing in the doorway silently, looking at me. 
As far as I can remember, I probably didn't say anything, but, Hi, Dr. Kola, what can I do for you? He didn't say anything other than these few simple words. He just looked at me, and he said, Mr. President, just be quiet. That's all he said, and he turned around and walked away. What was his point? Well, it was pretty simple, really. When people speak ill of you, just be quiet. When naysayers sow dissension about you, just be quiet. When you're falsely accused, just be quiet. The best way to find the snake is to listen for the rattle. Let the snakes around you make all the noise they want. But eventually, they're the ones who will lose their heads. Don't rattle. Let your success do the talking for you. Just be quiet and lead. That's the lesson from C.B. Kola, and it's one of the best lessons I was ever taught by a man who was several years my senior, by a man who had his failures. And, oh, there were those within our community who were quick to point his failures out to me. But back to one of the previous principles, when you're being advised by someone who has had, yes, some failures, but a lot of success in his life, someone who's been around the barn a couple more times than you have, someone who is your elder, someone who has earned respect. Rather than focusing on his negatives, humble yourself and listen to his wisdom. And his wisdom to me was, in the midst of the storm of lies and gossip and innuendo and exaggerations, just be quiet. Let the strength of your silence scream volumes to those who are listening to all these snakes rattling around you. They're the ones who are going to lose their heads rather than you if you have the discipline to just shut up and not rattle. Make sense? So the bottom line in my book, Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe, But It's Good, is that leaders act like adults, not children. And adults do things children don't. Adults lead, children follow. Adults rush into the storm, into falling buildings, while children sit on the sidelines and watch. Leaders set the tone. The tone doesn't set them. Adults, adults set the tone. They don't let children set the tone for them. Okay? So that's the point in my book. Grow up. Act like an adult if you want to be a leader. Don't behave like a child. And by all means, recognize the difference between adult behavior and childish behavior. Recognize that adult behavior is disciplined and selfless, where childish behavior is undisciplined and selfish. Okay? Now, for the rest of the show, let's talk about this, this issue of... Um, well, first, let's go back and talk about the issue of cancer never being cured with Band-Aids. I mentioned that earlier. I said cancer is never cured with Band-Aids. You've got to perform surgery or chemotherapy or the patient dies. Um, so if there's somebody in your church that's persistently arrogant or unteachable or codependent or manipulative or condescending, that's a cancer. That's a carcinogen. That's a poison in the church. Or if somebody is passive-aggressive and persistently treating people poorly, if they've got a gullum-like grasp on the ring of power, likewise, that's carcinogenic and corrupting the health of the body, right? So 
when you combine these things with the hypocrisy sometimes that comes out of churches. For example, I noticed one church recently that focuses on male leadership and it doubles down on their doctrinal belief that women have no place at the pulpit. This same church and its pastor refuses to correct female dominance within their own household. So there's hypocrisy there. And that hypocrisy is a is a carcinogen, if you will, that is going to eat away at the body politic of that church. So my point here is the tumor must be removed. You've got to remove the tumor. You can't ignore it. And you can, you can do it one of two ways. The tumor can be removed through confrontation, confession, and repentance. And if the leader humbly recognizes his need or her need to confess and repent, great. But if they don't, if there's arrogance and if there's a grasping for the ring of power, then you have to remove the tumor through termination. And if you just prolong the agony, you're going to kill the body. You've got to remove the cancer. And you remove it either through chemotherapy, either through confession and repentance. I would equate that with the chemo. Or you remove it through surgery. And I would equate that with termination. If you let it go on, the patient is going to die. You've got to do the difficult thing. So the, the bottom line, is after 30 years of experience, okay, within the church, because I've always worked within church colleges and universities, um, I, I, I believe in preaching. I believe in the message. I can respect that. But the message and the man have to line up, or you're going to sacrifice your influence in your church, in your community, and within the culture. You have the opportunity to change lives and change your town. I mean, look at Bartlesville right now, this drag queen story hour crap that's going on in our community. The local churches have a wonderful opportunity to never let this crisis go to waste. They should be leading, our pastors should be leading the entire community in standing against this Sodom-like transformation of our town. But instead of fighting Satan, some of our pastors have been spending all their time and energy battling their own people in their own churches. They've, it's like burying their talents, even if they're good preachers. They're burying their talent of good preaching in the backyard because they're fighting against people all the time when they should have been using that talent and investing it in fighting for the master's kingdom rather than fighting against their own congregants. It's very unfortunate and it's very sad. And Let's get into this issue as we wrap up today's show of leading through leaving. I think this is one of my biggest disappointments as I watch leaders today, whether it be Donald Trump or whether it be your local pastor. It's this complete and utter failure to understand this basic leadership paradox of leading through leaving. Real leaders know when to leave. Real leaders look out for the good of the organization, not the good of their careers. Real leaders understand that an essential part of leadership is leaving well. Pastors come and pastors go, but the church stays. Real leaders, good pastors, great pastors, understand this. They celebrate their time to move on. Did you hear what I just said? They celebrate their time to move on. They don't fight it. Let me give you a biblical example. Let's use Moses. Moses understood that it was his time to hand the baton to Joshua. He understood that. 
this Joshua-Moses paradigm. Moses didn't enter the promised land. God didn't choose him to do that, but Moses is recognized as one of the greatest leaders in human history. Why? Because he did his job, he did it well, but he didn't hang on. He handed the baton to Joshua. He understood it was time to leave. Here's, here's another example, not in the Bible, but a great example, and it's George Washington. Washington celebrated the handoff to Adams. He didn't cling on to the ring of power. Moses and Washington were men that knew their mission and knew their job. They understood that their leg of the race, of the relay, was over and the transition should be in full stride and not with faltering steps. Moses, again, was history's greatest leader. You could argue that because he led through leaving. Washington was the greatest man in the world, quote unquote. That's what King George III said of him. Why? Because Washington knew when to leave. That's why King George said that if he does this, if he leaves this pinnacle of power, like he says he will, he will be the greatest man in the world. And George Washington did. So Moses and Washington are both examples of leading by leaving. No one, I'm going to say this in conclusion to today's show, no one is a real leader if they don't understand this. No one is a leader if they're not leaving well. <laughs> Frankly, it's the exact opposite. Okay? King George thought Washington would not do this, okay? He thought he would cling to the ring of power rather than leading by leaving. If you're behaving like King George, grasping on to your power, refusing to leave well, then you are not a leader. You're preserving your position rather than, rather than promoting the principles of the organization and the church. Real leaders know how to leave well. They lead by leaving. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.